Well, I want to uh, share with you an interesting transition that we have happening here in the book of 1 Peter. I, I didn't realize this, uh, but we are at the, the kind of the dividing point of this book. And uh, let me show you how this breaks out. We are in the book of 1 Peter, and basically 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through chapter 2, verse 10 is, is Peter's addressing of the gospel realities. These are the indicatives, the accomplishments of God that have set us apart, that have um, defined us. This is a lot of the you are, you are. This is what he has done, you are, right? And just like Paul, Peter now is going to bring application for the remainder of the book. Now, there is some doctrine uh, still to come, but, but primarily here we have uh, gospel implications. So because of who you are, because of what God has done, now go do, right? And it's important that we keep this order correct. If we were to ever reverse these, we would have a works gospel. We would have a go do so that you are. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is you are, this is what God has done. Now live it out. Be who you are, as it were, to apply the gospel in our lives. And so we're going to see uh, how the gospel reaches in and affects all kinds of things. Uh, and the verses that we're going to cover today kind of survey. So all the way to the end of the book, except for the, the final greetings, which are just a couple verses, this is our, our journey. The implications of the gospel that God has accomplished to change you, to set you apart, to call you to live for his glory and so today, I titled the sermon, The Honorable Exile. We're going to be in verses 11 and 12, which is a kind of a survey over all that is remaining in the book. It's a, it's, it's a canopy um, a summary form of what he's going to break out now in detail as we go on from here. So 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 and 12 today. Let's begin in verse 11 with the inner war the inner war. Two things on your sermon notes, very simple. Um, each verse explains um, what I would say the two huge um, aspects of the Christian life would be. Number one is the inner war. Verse 11, beloved, Peter writes, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. These are, these are big words. These are sweeping words. These are epic words of reality that kind of pull the veil back on the reality of, of what's happening inside of you all week long. In your soul, there is a battle now that's taking place. You are a Christian you are delivered from sin. You, you are no longer darkness. You are light. And part of the implication of that is, means you are at war, as we've seen. In so many books. Remember coming to this place in the book of Romans. Remember the battle of chapter 7 as Paul describes this war. I am at war with me. I'm at war with myself. This war is raging. It is a war against my soul that I fight to defend and win in victory, in faith and in perseverance. Let's look at the, the first words of this call. 
You could see this uh, here. Beloved is that's, that's, that's a, an in, a term of endearment. He, he wants people to remember this. But Peter is not standing up on some high horse and saying, listen, all of you need to do this. No, he's saying we're together in this. Brothers, sisters, beloved, uh, loved ones, as it were. As those whom I love, I strongly appeal to you. Or older words, I beseech you, I urge you. This is important. This is a defining part of the Christian life. To be a Christian is to be at war. At war with sin, at war with yourself, at war with the old inclinations that used to define us. As those whom I love, I strongly appeal. And then, note the appeal. The appeal tracks back to the are. You are. This is who you are. Remember who you are. You are sojourners and exiles. Now, what's interesting about this is how Peter kind of circles back to where we began. Remember, elect exiles of the dispersion. So much in that sequence is in view here. We just focused on election last week once again and all the implications of that. This is what God has done. He's chosen you. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, with that in view, remember, you're also exiles. In this world, sojourners and exiles. That is, we are no longer uh, part of the system of sin, part of the system of the world. We've been delivered out of the dark. He called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. He made us by grace through Jesus Christ, citizens of heaven. So we are, we are called by Peter to remember who we are. And this is a helpful thing. Identity is a powerful reality, isn't it? So much work today on, on, well, who are you? Well, this is how I identify. And, oh, my word. The Christian has such simple, clear reminders of this is who you are. This defines you. You're a citizen of heaven. You have a home in heaven. You have a future inheritance that awaits you. And you find yourself a stranger in a sinful land, surrounded by sin, surrounded by darkness. We are light sent into the dark, right? So you remember some of the, the language before. We've been called out of the dark and at the same time sent in to shine. So we don't build monasteries. We, we don't just say, oh, he saved us. Great. Let's all just huddle up in a holy huddle and let the world Go to hell in a handbasket. We're good to go. No, that's, our, that's not our mission. He called us out of the dark. Come apart from all of that. Be separate. Be holy. And then go shine in the dark. Citizens of heaven commissioned to go in a sinful land and shine. And call out the lambs. Call the sheep to come to the shepherd. I like how the writer of Hebrews says it. For here, in this world, this system of sin, we have no lasting city. I would add, we, United States of America, we have no lasting country. We are Christians. We are Christians above all else. 
We seek the city that is to come. Far more than any other reality, we live for what we know is coming to us. We don't plant roots here. We don't seek to live our best life now. The prosperity gospel has all kinds of verses that un, undoes its message. And this is one. This is, no, it's, this, it's not all about the here and the now. It's not get it before it's gone because this is the best that's coming. No, the best is yet to come. It's coming. So we are called to, 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 to be set apart here, holy in this place. Not a part of the system that we once were. A system of sin, a system of darkness. Set apart and sent in. This is a defining reality of your life, Christian. Young people, think about this. When you go to school, remember this. You have been set apart from the system and sent in to shine. Not to be apart, not to blend in, not to try to be like everyone else. No, that's the whole point. Christians are not supposed to be like everyone else. I, I just, if, 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 the American church would really allow this, this calling to land. There would be a lot of triviality that would be flushed out of the church. Oh, how much effort is put in to be like the world around us. It's all a waste. Be holy and reach out in love. Set apart and sent in. Beloved, Peter says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Here comes the command now. This is, this is moving from indicatives to imperatives. This is who you are. Remember who you are now. Do this. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Passions of the flesh, you might understand this as sinful inclinations impulses, instincts even, patterns and responses. And oh, we can identify these, can we not? It is not hard. Live one hour of your life and you will identify these very quickly, especially as you're aware. I once was darkness, now I am light. Where does the darkness seek to crowd out the light? Where does it want back in this house? No to the dark. But oh, how easy it is to find it crawling back in and trying to take hold. Saying to that soul, which by the way is invincibly held by Christ. Saying, I want that back. It is at war with your soul. It will not win because Christ is the victor and he holds us. And yet we are called to fight in his strength. Fight the darkness. Fight temptation. Fight passions. Fight sin. The way we persevere is through violent fighting against the inclinations of sin. The passions of the flesh. If your eye causes you to sin, what does Paul say? Gouge it out. He's not saying just Hope it goes away and, and, you know, whatever. You're good. No. 
That's not how the Bible speaks. Go to war. Do what needs to be done. He's not talking about mutilation. He's talking about serious action. What comes to mind? Sinful inclinations, impulses, instincts, patterns, responses. You know, what's interesting is how generational sins can kind of carry weaknesses or, or, or the maybe poor uh, displays of, of, of sin that modeled out before you and your parents or your grandparents or your uncles or cousins or whatever it might be. How that so easily echoes. Oh, how quick we are to justify responses and sinful actions because it's what is normal. It's what we saw. Friends, the bar of holiness is not set by those who ran this race before you. It is set by God. And it is perfection. We are not to abide any sinful inclination, passion, behavior, response, instinct, or pattern. We live in a world that is defined by sin, a world that is, that is just, it's like it chases together. The system of the world chases together after the passions of the flesh. And here we are surrounded by this running against the tide. I remember putting a picture up of a, of a, a, a New York marathon and all these people, all the sea of humanity running this way. And what would it be like to say, nope, we run this way. Right opposite the crowd. Right through them all. That's you, Christian, in this world. It's you in the workplace. Kids, it's you in the school. That's who you are. And that's what we do as Christians. That's what we've always done. That's our legacy. Legacy of faith. Paul makes clear in Galatians 5 what these passions of the flesh are. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, it is not lost on us. That's the first one listed. Followed by impurity and sensuality. Don't miss this, my friends. The Lord cares very much about your faithfulness with your body and your mind as it relates to purity and holiness and sex. It's a big deal to God. Christians should stand out in this day in purity, in activity, in behavior. When two people fall in love who are believers, oh, how different and awesome it is when they say no to the pattern of sin. The world says, this is what you do, right? This is how you're going to move in together. Isn't that how it goes? so that you know for sure you're going to work together and everything's great. You do the test drive and then, and then you get engaged and then you wait for the big marriage. And No, that's not how it goes. Oh, it plays out over and over. What a sad mess that creates. There are people in this world, young people know this, there are people in this world who esteem holiness as you do. Wait for them. Wait for them. Keep the bar high. And when you find someone like that, go after God together in holiness and purity. Honor Him and He will bless. The list goes on. 
idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, oh, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. You don't have to look far, do you? You don't have to look far, but don't just look out there. The, 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 the reality is, is that all of us are capable of these kinds of offenses. These are passions of the flesh that we are not simply surrounded by, that we are threatened by from within. We've got to fight and make sure we stand. Come apart from the world. In case the warning wasn't clear enough, hear this from Paul. For anyone here today who would say to this list, really, is it that big a deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. Listen to the warning, the loving warning of the Apostle Paul. I warn you as I warned you before. It's not enough just to warn them once, is it? Those who do such things, that is, they, they set their path along that way with no repentance, no care, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will burn in the fires of hell. That's what he's saying. If you want to go to hell, there's your roadmap. God's people don't follow that map. We are on a different course. We are running the opposite direction. Perfectly? No. No. Progressively? Absolutely yes. Are we growing in godliness? That's the goal. Growing in godliness. Are you more godly this week than last? Oh Lord, make that true of me. Right? Make it true. Are you more tenaciously fighting sin and passions of the flesh in your life? More this week than last. Help that to be true. I want that to be true. More and more. Holy, holy, holy is our God. It's a big deal that his people are holy in this dark and unholy world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the Father, the love of the Father is not in him. So let me just be clear. If you're here today and you have love for the system of sin, if you love the dark, if you're drawn to the dark, what John is telling you today is you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Because Christians are those who don't love the dark. They love the light. And they say, Lord, I, I want more light, less dark. I hate my sin. I don't want sin. I want you. I want obedience. Progressing more and more in this. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride and possessions, it's not from the Father. It's from the world. That's the system of sin that's headed for hell. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Who are those people? Christians. Christians. They are, they are not Christians because they do the will of God. They do the will of God because they are Christians. You see the order, the sequence? This is who you are. So live this way. Seek to do the will of God. We live in the air of eternal life. We have been set free from sin. We've been called out of the dark. We have tasted and we have seen that He is good. His way is always better. Oh, 
Why would we run back to the dark to find what? We've been down that road before. We know there's nothing there. Love the light. Live for him. You want to be satisfied at the level of the soul? Run after him in holiness and righteousness. Abstain is the word. It's an interesting word he chooses here. Keep away from, avoid, reject, abstain. Now, what does that imply? It, it means it's coming at us, right? It's coming at us. We're saying no. We're, we're, we're constantly saying no. No, no, no. I don't want that. No, no, no. That, that's not who I am anymore. Maybe back in the day. Okay. Not anymore. Stiff arm. Okay. It's like one of these awesome stiff arms. You guys been watching playoffs? The guy gets the ball, comes around the corner. The dude comes to tackle him and he takes him like this open hand, right? And he just is like, bam, you know, I love it when that happens. The guy's off balance. He just takes the defender and chucks him and keeps running. That's you. That's you in the power of God. That's what we delight in. Holiness, abstain from the flesh. You can do this, Christian. You can do this in his power. Chuck that defender and run on. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, what a statement. That is so wonderfully simple and true. Walk by the Spirit. How do you do that? Your nose in the book that he wrote. This is what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. This is his book. He wrote this book. So know him. Know what it means to be holy. Know what it means that is what is honorable and good and right and beautiful. And set your mind on these things, right? Live here in the Word. Walk in step with the Spirit. In prayer, Lord, make this true of me. I want to grow in this way. I want to be increasingly in, in, in consistent uh, in, a, in a consistent walk with what I read here. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh. There's a word. So abstain and Crucify the flesh. Stiff arm any inclinations and violently destroy them. It's passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, that is, if we have been made to live by the Spirit, if, we, if He made us alive, if we've been reborn by the Spirit in such power, then let us also walk by the Spirit. You want victory over sin? Draw on the power source who resides within you, Christian. Look to the Lord. Pray for victory. Read his word. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There will be increasingly in your life a godliness, a holiness, a progression of growth and victory. Will it be perfect? Let's be clear. No, it's not going to be perfect. It is going to increase, though. 
Like, like over time, there's this chart that you'll be able to track. As you pursue obedience to the Lord, you will see growth. The enemy will come at you. He will try to dissuade you. He will, he will try to trip you up. The sin which so easily clings and tangles our feet. No, run the race of the gospel. There is freedom in Christ. Freedom to obey. The inner war then is something that is raging today in your life, Christian. This is, this is your reality as you walked into this place. It's interesting because there's, there's two aspects to it. We've, we've talked about this in the past. There's a defense and an offense when it comes to this war. When we go to war with sin in our life, these, these the passions of the flesh, we have to have a good stiff arm, right? You've got to have a fence, a tall, we need a wall. Doesn't, that, that, this room, if, if ever we needed a wall, we need a wall. You've got to build barriers, protections, be intentional and purposeful and specific. Where does sin want to wage war against my soul? Identify it, call it what it is, build a wall. Stop it. Don't allow it to come your way. But there's also offense that must be played. It's not enough just to put the stiff arm out. You've got to have the ball and you've got to be going up the field. You've got to be moving in godliness if you want to have a good defense. So purge sin and pursue godliness. We purge sin. Get rid of it. Kill it. Put it to death. Replace it. Crowd it out with righteousness, obedience, godliness. Focus on the fruits. Lord, I want these to be true of my life. Focus on the passions of the flesh. I don't want these to be true. More and more, get rid of these and realize these. Mortify, vivify. Put to death, bring to life. That's Paul's language. The inner war. I was thinking, thinking about a a leak. Let's say you have a leak in your, in your pipes, in your house, and in a wall. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, the drywall is wet. What's going on? The leak is behind the drywall. You've got a major issue. So you get out the can of paint, and you say, well, let's just paint this up. It'll be good as new. And you just roll the paint right over the wet drywall, and you're like, hey, it's gone. It's gone. Guess what? It's not gone. Remember the sermon in Romans where I showed the guy on the lawnmower and he was mowing a field of dandelions? Just chopping the tops off the dandelions. Guess what? They're not going anywhere. They're all still there. They're coming back. Why? Because you've got to address the source. Where does sin begin? Where's the source of the leak? Where's the, the root of this sin? It's not Often in the decision, it's what led to the decision. Why did I desire this sin, this response? Go there. You got to dig. This takes a little work. I got grumpy this weekend. Uh, came home from bowling, had a blast bowling. And uh, we're pulling in the garage and Ethan's like, oh, I think I saw a mouse, dad. He ran under our fridge. And so I'm like, I'm thinking in my, in my mind, that's all right. I got some I got some poison. I got some traps. Well, guess what? I couldn't find them. 
And one of the besetting sins of my life is when I lose things. I hate losing things. I'm an organized guy. Every, I know where stuff is supposed to be. And, and if it's not there, it drives me nuts. And it's not anyone else's fault but mine. And so I, I really get upset with myself. And it made me grumpy. I, let me say it different. I chose to be grumpy. Right? I woke up on Saturday, just kind of like, oh, man, got to go to the hardware store and buy mousetraps. And I had some, man, I don't know where they went. And, 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 and the Lord graciously laid on my heart that, that my attitude was not right. But here's the deal. All I could think of was the mouse. That's not the problem, is it? The problem is not the mouse. Ultimately, guess who's sovereign over the mouse? I ran back to my sermon on contentment, ran through the list, right? The six questions. And I was struck by God sovereignly put that mouse in my garage to show me that I have an errant pipe in the house that needs more than paint. Got to get to the source. Open it up, dig deep. It took a little bit. It opened my eyes to my frustration. How it's re- I guess it goes back to pride. I just don't like losing stuff. I was able to confess that sin, and I felt things begin to resolve. Went to the hardware store, told the guy I'm making war on mice. <laughs> he gave me the best stuff, and guess what? That mouse is dead. <laughs> but the death of that mouse is not enough to solve the issue for me, right? The, the real issue was not the mouse. The mouse was the agent of God's sovereign hand to show me my sin. It's a silly little thing, but you can't just go kill the mouse. What is the deal, Jeremy? Why are you grumpy over this tiny little thing? Renovate the desire. Go deep. Do the digging. Do the work. You got to stop and ask yourself, why am I absolutely inclining toward this response, this sin, and then put it to death. So, inner war, inner war. The second half of this now is outer witness. Outer witness, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is an incredible verse. Now just remember what Peter is preparing these people for. He is preparing these people for persecution, the likes of which the world has rarely seen. We're talking Nero is coming. He is on the scene. He is about to unleash on Christians throughout the empire. And not just Nero, just regular people are going to pin this hatred and this anger on, on Christians. And Peter is preparing them with these verses. I feel like there may be some similarities of our time. That God may be preparing us for some hostilities that I sense continue to move our direction. And increasingly so. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, what's interesting about this is this is largely a Gentile audience that he's writing to. Isn't that amazing? He's addressing them as believers now. In a sense, he's saying the world, your world, 
needs to see a certain kind of conduct, certain responses that should be true of Christians, not just of individuals, but of the church. Hmm. Honorable conduct. What does that look like? What does it look like to have honorable conduct? There's two levels to this. One is, obviously, the, the, the primary for us as believers, God, His character. He sets the bar. Justice is what it is because God is who He is, right? Um, what is right and true and lovely and good is, is what it is because God is who He is. So He is the bar. He is the one who sets what is. The second part of this is what's interesting his image in mankind instinctively is drawn to at least shadowy displays of these things. So basic ethics in business. Even unbelievers have a sense of right and wrong. Now, it's, it gets convoluted and it's not always right. But telling the truth, that's who we are. That's what we do. Christians, we tell the truth. We're truth speakers. When it comes to business decisions and fiscal responsibility, the reason that is what it is, ultimately, even in in its imperfections, is because God is true and trustworthy and faithful. So, number one, God. Honor God. Set, set the bar high for yourself. But also, be aware as you walk in this world, there is honorable behavior that we should easily meet up with as believers. The bar is much higher than the world. But that which is tracking back to God that is on display in the world sure shouldn't be any less in our lives. Honorable conduct. In a sense, you can see this flow. Godly character, which is the work of the first verse, verse 11, right? Go to war. Seek to realize increasingly godly character will then lead to godly conduct. Our lives will be honorable as we live out this character that is of God increasingly in us. 2 Timothy 2, 21 and 22. Listen to how Paul writes this to Timothy. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, so there's our word, the opposite of it, he will be a vessel, a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. That's the same line of reasoning that Peter is giving us here. So, here comes the command. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Honorable, that which is honorable. Righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This is our mission. This is our calling as Christians. This is what it looks like to, to live for that which is honorable. And then do those things throughout the week. I was struck by the word when. You note that? So that when, not if. <laughs> it's not an if. It's when. When they speak against you, Christian, as evildoers. Now, you talk about upside down land. How amazing is it? When we see this on display, it's all over the place, isn't it? If you stand against the agenda, the radical, militant agenda of the LGBTQ, right? Guess what? You are evil. You are intolerant. How dare you be so arrogant and divisive, right? See, 
They're calling you an evildoer. And you are standing for what is truly right and good and honorable in the sight of God. How do you respond? How do you respond? When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What does this tell us of God? Well, it tells us that he allows his children to be accused of evil for purposes of salvation that he plans to accomplish. So that when we are accused of evil, our response in those things is the very thing he then uses to authenticate the reality of the gospel in the accusers and convict them of their sin and bring them to life in the gospel. One of the ways Christianity is proven legitimate is when Christians suffer for righteousness' sake and they shine. They shine. They don't get floppy and, oh, 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 sorry, didn't mean to step on your toes. No, no, it's they stand faithful, gentle, and in love. You can apologize, you can compromise, try to appease the masses, bow to peer pressure. Oh, how? We live in this globalized world. You can be canceled so quick. And even in that, now, it's, it's not enough to cancel people. If they don't bow, it's, it's violence now. It's, it's, now it's become like, you should be killed. Is this the... Uh, the, the way that we're called to live in this world. Do everything you can to blend in. Just don't rock the boat. That's not what Peter's saying. We, we don't find the way of truth as the way of compromise. We don't find the way of love as the way of blind tolerance or endorsement of sin. But what we do find is that we are called to stand. Look at the, look at the future that Jesus says is coming and has taken place for many of the disciples, all but John. You will be delivered up, that is betrayed, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will, they will kill, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. And in that moment, Christian, shine. That's what Peter's saying. Shine in that moment and watch what God does. Watch what he does. You can get bitter. You can join in the gutter. You can hurl stones and you can kick and thrash and get all mad. How dare they? I'm trying to be a good fit. No, that's not our response. That's not the, that's not the way of the Christian life. Honor God and bear the fruit of righteousness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Shine. Oh, if this were easy, it would be more prevalent. This is hard. This is a very challenging work. We need the power of God to help us to do this. Honor God and bear the fruit of righteousness. Let your light shine, Jesus said, before others, so that they may see your good works. Okay, so let me be clear. I've been a little hard on 
St. Francis of Assisi, right? Right? You know, uh, preach the gospel all, at all times, if necessary, use words. And I'm all, you know what I'm saying? It's always necessary to use words. Yes. But he does have an emphasis. Our lives preach. Your life preaches, Christian. Your responses, your tone, your attitude in the workplace when things don't go the way you would prefer. That's a sermon. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your life confirm your words. Let your life show that your words are legitimate and real and authentic. You're not just blowing hot air. Sometimes suffering parses this out so clearly, makes it so clear to a watching world that's looking for anything real, trying to cling to it. Oh, what's real? And they jump on the bandwagon of the latest trend, and then it's all this, and then you blink, and then it's all this over here, and then so-and-so's awesome, and then they're canceled, and then God's people have a path. Good deeds for God's glory. It's pretty straightforward. We are called by God to display good deeds that He has chosen for us before the foundations to walk in, that we would, our lives would be characterized by good deeds, the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Godly attitudes and godly conduct. I was struck by this as I thought about how God ordains. He, he ordains means and he ordains ends. Okay, so think of this. What Peter is telling these Christians is there is going to come persecution upon you and God intends in this to accomplish salvation of the persecutors. So, so there are people who are going to hate your guts and they're going to say terrible things about you. And in the moment that they do that, your response will be the means that I ordain to bring about the end of their salvation. They're going to be like, wait a second, what? That's not what I expected. I thought you would have fists up. I thought we were going to duke it out. What do you, what do you mean? You're, you're, you're reaching out with a hug. What is that? One of the greatest examples of this is Stephen the martyr and Saul the terrorist. Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Saul, who we now know as the Apostle Paul, stood in his just rage against the early church and Christians, and he gave his authority for the killing of Stephen. And Stephen preached a sermon, and his face shone with the light of God, the glory of God. And as he was pummeled with rocks to the head and killed, in front of Saul, there was a light that shone. Something about his words, about his face, his demeanor. God used that in power. And I guarantee you this. Saul could not get that out of his mind. He could not forget that day. I remember preaching through how God saved Saul. And just wondering, what would that moment be like when when Paul the Apostle in glory met up with Stephen the martyr that he had killed. 
And they together embraced and glorified the God of mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel does. That's what God can do through your response. Christian, there may indeed be means ordained by God through the responses that you give even when you are accused and attacked such that God would employ those very things to bring salvation. Only God can do stuff like that. The honorable exile. That is who you are, Christian, who you are to be all the more this week as we walk this out. Our response this morning just say it this way, the quickest way to tarnish your witness as a Christian and the witness of the church that you attend is through sinful and dishonorable behavior. The story is told of John MacArthur sitting with a guy in the community and he's having lunch and this guy, uh, how did it go? He, he was invited to MacArthur's church and the guy said, you know what, I'll never go to that church. And the response was, well, Why? Why wouldn't you go to that church? It's a great church. The guy said, well, that's because I know this guy that goes there, and he's horrible. He's a terrible man, and that's his church, so I'm never darkening the door of that church. Now, there's a lot of moving parts to that. Some may be accurate or inaccurate, whatever it may be. But let's just step back and say, when you walk in the community, when you conduct business with your business, when you do exchanges, when you, when you are interacting with people, moms, you're getting together and you're talking about the various challenges of motherhood and, and, and whatever, and fill in the blank, everything in between. You not only confirm your witness to be a Christian by what you model in your words and what you do, but you also affect the reputation of this church. And the gospel that we seek to carry. Years ago, there was a lot of people who left this church. And there was a horrible display of carnality and sin that kind of moved out into the community. And I don't worry about that because that's God's work, right? I, I can't chase down all these, 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 these words and these reputations and these you know, negativities. God does His work. But I would say this. We are accountable for how we bear witness both personally and collectively to the Lord. What would your business partners or people who come and do business with you or family members say? How, how are you representing the gospel in these interactions? How are you representing our church? I mean, members especially, we emphasize this. If you're a member of Good Shepherd, you are a Good Shepherd you are the church, right? This is, this is a big deal. One of the quickest ways to tarnish your witness, to, to basically pull the rug out from your own evangelism, is to live a life that cares nothing for godliness. People will be like, well, I mean, really? doesn't seem like you believe it, so why should I? It's a big deal. Holiness. Chasing down the sin in our lives has everything to do with the witness that we seek to be used to bring about. Inner war, outer witness, they're connected. And basically all the remaining verse of, verses of 1 Peter are going to be addressing these, these things. So, let's pray. Oh God, as we consider these things, we pray that you would make 
these two realities a focus of our lives as believers. We thank you for what you have accomplished through Jesus Christ, the, the glorious realities that we know today and possess by your grace in Christ. We are saved from sin and we are called out of the dark by you into the marvelous light of freedom and life and joy and peace. We pray that our lives would be defined by this, not just positionally, but progressively, Lord, that we would be a holy people in an unholy county, that we would shine bright together for your glory, that, that, that our good deeds would not cause people to glorify us, but that they would, they would glorify you, Lord, by your grace. We pray that if and when we uh, address persecution or come under fire, that our responses would be honoring to you, and, and, and glorify you, that they would be used by you to authenticate our claims and bring salvation to this county, to the ends of the earth. Oh God, we look to you and trust that you would be all that we need in these things. If it wasn't for you, where would we be? Even this assignment seems so great, and yet you meet us. You minister to us. You strengthen us. You give us the very words we need in these moments. Oh, Spirit of God, through your word, in, in your power, make us fruitful Christians, defined by the fruit of righteousness and light, less and less by the fruits and the deeds of the dark. We pray this for your glory and for our accomplishing of the purpose you've given us. In Jesus we pray. Amen.